Medicine generates vast amounts of data that are currently exceeding our capacity to process and use them. Machine learning is a technology that can use these data to build algorithms that allow computer-based systems to generate models for meaningful interpretation and potential clinical use. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking to Isaac Kohani, Professor of Biomedical Informatics and Pediatrics at Harvard Medical School. Dr. Kohani recently co-authored a Frontiers in Medicine article on machine learning in medicine. Dr. Kohani, what exactly is machine learning and what are its potential applications in medicine? Well, I'm really pleased to talk about this because it's a term, machine learning, that's been abused and made also to be mysterious sounding, where in fact, like the bourgeois gentilhomme by Molière, where the bourgeois had said, what is the difference between prose and verse? And his tutor explains that prose is just what you say every day. He says, I mean, I've been saying prose all my life. In a similar fashion, we've been using machine learning for many, many years. Question is, what kind of machine learning? So, for example, many of your readers will be aware of the Framingham heart risk score. And that was based on a regression equation against all the data from the Framingham population to estimate heart risk. The difference between that machine learning and the machine learning that is generating a lot of excitement today is that the latter kind, the kind that has been exemplified, for example, by these so-called deep convolutional neural networks, is that they require much less human supervision, much less design of the model. You just show the data to the program and give it appropriate labels. These are patients with glaucoma. These are patients without glaucoma. And we give you the pictures of these images, those two states, and you, the computer, figure out what's going on, as opposed to a much more hands-on approach with logistic regression, where you would actually have to pick what are the right variables to look at and come up with the right model. Here, it's much more hands-off. The computer appears to do it more by itself. So how does that work? What are the differences between machine learning, how it deals with data, and how the human mind might deal with data? The question of how does human versus machine learning approach diagnosis differently is a difficult question to answer only because through the work of Nobel Prize winners such as Daniel Kahneman, we've learned that there's at least two different types of thinking that we do. The fast thinking, which is sort of pattern recognition, and the slow thinking, which is the deliberate, explicit thinking that we're aware of. And it may be that the machine learning, we don't know this at all, but it's been speculated, the machine learning where we recognize images associated with disease is much more like our fast way of thinking. Whereas what we as doctors think of as our diagnostic process, where we weigh physiology and weigh findings, is in fact much more deliberate and explicit about mechanism. Work back in the, this is again maybe beside the point for your audience, but work that goes back to the 1970s done by Palker and others seem to show that expert performance does not work the way we like to think. When you have a New England Journal CPC, you can hear people talk about how they're thinking of all the reasons why a patient has this or that. But it turns out in practice, when you really instrument, they're just recognizing the patterns and not that often doing it from first principles. 
So again, I think that's probably too cognitive science oriented for this audience, but what doctors think they do as opposed to what they actually do turns out to be quite different. And so it becomes a harder question to answer how do these programs differ? Because it may be that we don't fully appreciate where our true skill set is and that a dermatologist can see a lesion and say that's malignant and they can't really express why they are saying it, but they have this ability to recognize from past history features that they can't fully articulate. So still thinking about diagnosis and the difference between machine and human learning, what happens with machine learning when you go beyond the pixels of an image, when you go into something that would be a more complicated collection of data, including, for instance, laboratory data, something that can't be seen? So the first observation is that the successes that we've all celebrated in machine learning around images have been not quite reproduced as dramatically for the non-visual challenges asking you to recognize different courses, different trajectories of clinical disease based on laboratory and physical findings. We have done that, and researchers around the world have done it, but there have been less dramatic breakthroughs than they have been for vision. And part of it has to do with the fact that the data looks different than images, but also that despite the vast volumes of data that we have, we probably still don't have enough data because each patient is quite different in several dimensions of their labs and their physical findings. And so we may not actually have enough clean data to actually define these trajectories. So that makes me want to ask what you mean by clean data and whether you could ever have too much data and therefore not be able to pull out the answers you're looking for. Well, there are several problems with data, which are also opportunities. First of all, it turns out that clinicians don't measure things when it might be unnecessary. And so most data scientists are unaware that a blood draw at 3 o'clock in the morning, no matter what the value obtained, is much more dire of a predictor than a blood draw at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Because if you're drawing blood at 3 o'clock in the morning, the patient is not looking well. And so there's a lot of doctor behavior that's baked into the data that we obtain through the healthcare system. And so that adds information if we're smart in interpreting the data. But for most data scientists, it's distracting. With regard to the cleanliness of the data, there are several issues. One is that often hospitals and healthcare systems will tweak the diagnoses that are of record, not so that they're inaccurate, but to maximize reimbursement. That gets us a little bit away from what's the perhaps closest biological pathophysiological truth. And furthermore, those of us who have been clinicians will recognize that our clinical notes are incomplete and imperfect. Now, I can point to many applications where researchers have been very effective in using these data. Nonetheless, it's despite the noisiness and the bias in the data, and you have to be very aware of it. But we have to do it because there's no way we can ask doctors to get even more miserable with more documentation than they already are. And so I think the fantasy that some have that somehow we can require doctors to meticulously fill a whole bunch of codified data elements for every patient encounter, that is a pipe dream. And instead, we're going to have to become nimble in exploiting the data that is generated currently as part of the clinical care. So there's been some concern that the rise of machine learning in medicine might lead to the deterioration of the doctor-patient relationship, which has been seen as fundamental to medical practice. How do you answer that worry? Well, 
Ironically, I think it might have the opposite effect. I think computing has had a dire effect on the doctor-patient relationship because of electronic medical record. It's literally taken doctor's face away from the patients and towards the glowing monitor and has really disrupted the flow of communications in the patient encounter. As we describe in our Frontiers piece, there's no particular reason why this has to be that way. And use of machine learning and artificial intelligence could actually follow along as an intelligent scribe and say, remind you verbally, have you asked about this or that? And provide the context which the doctor can follow in the conversation with the patient. And so workflow where you actually have much more of an intelligent automated agent that seeks, let's say, to disambiguate the emerging differential diagnosis during the encounter can help improve the quality of the data that the physician elicits through the physical exam or the history, as opposed to this brutal serfdom that we are imposing upon clinicians these days, which is just to turn away from the patient and write as much as they can in text. And so I think it could really improve it. It would be much more of the group effort that we used to have when we used to discuss patients and interact with patients, perhaps with a medical student. That's now a luxury that very few can afford. So machine learning is in the early days of implementation in medicine. What do you see as the barriers, the challenges to actually integrating it into medical practice? Well, there are a few barriers. Probably the largest barrier is that the electronic health record is right now the dominant platform, the place that you go for all clinical data. And so it would be a natural thought that to provide the functionality that we're describing as part of the electronic medical record. But the electronic medical record companies are not currently bastions of excellence in machine learning. And they're having a tough enough time delivering basic functions of data processing, and they don't have expertise here. Interestingly, the non-medical data companies, the Googles, the Facebooks, and the Apples, are the ones who have the machine learning chops, but they don't really have the clinical data. And perhaps because of some of the events that we are aware of in the last few years, we might be a little hesitant to have those data companies fully access the data, but that's up for grabs. But the biggest problem is A, the technical expertise around machine learning and our process automation in healthcare is not well aligned. The second biggest problem is who's gonna pay for this? If indeed we have a pay for performance system, then it's quite predictable that we will be much more meticulous about what we're supposed to do. If we have machine learning looking over our shoulder, making sure that we're taking good care of the patients. But if it's a fee-for-service system, that kind of functionality may not be of interest. And so there are going to be some altruistic healthcare systems, which for altruistic reasons, or perhaps even for marketing reasons, will want to provide that additional customer service, that additional quality through machine learning, but it's not obvious. Now, there are other places where even under a fee-for-service system, adoption will be faster. So in radiology, we already have outsourced in many large healthcare systems the reading of films or the digital equivalent overnight in the other side of the globe while we're asleep. So those physicians are not seeing our patients. They're just seeing the films. If we can show, as we have been able to show as a community, that we can perform without seeing the patient, no worse and often better with greater reproducibility can read the chest x-rays, the MRIs, the mammograms, then on a fee-for-service basis, you're going to see a lot more and it'll cost you much less. So there, the business models are extremely well aligned. Those of us who have been in the field of 
artificial intelligence for medicine, however, have hope for something else, which is in addition to that, that's a great result, can we actually improve workflow? Can we make the physician's life better? Can we make sure that we don't make errors in the course of taking care of the patient? And for that to happen, I do think the pressures on doctors will have to be different, the incentives and pressures. And I think it does come, unfortunately, back to reimbursement models. So finally, you've begun to answer this uh, already uh, to some extent, but what do you see as happening next with machine learning in medicine? What are the next steps and the next successes? So I think in fairly short order, we're going to see for the imaging specialties, pathology, dermatology, radiology, we're going to see a very rapid, by which I mean within the next five years, adoption of these techniques to categorize and diagnose patients in that narrow role. The other area that will, I think, happen relatively rapidly is areas in which most doctors don't feel comfortable and don't necessarily feel that they have the expertise, and that's in the area of genomics. And so the application of machine learning to say across the literally tens of thousands of variants that a human genome carries, whether it's your germline genome or the genome of a tumor, the so-called somatic genome, there no one pretends that they have the ability to remember all the associations between each variant and the disease and which is the right drug to take based on those. And so there, I think these machine learning techniques will have a early penetration. But this raises an important issue, which is machine learning of the type that we've described, which is one that works basically by labeled examples, is only as good as the data from which it comes. And that's very problematic because, for example, you can imagine, and it wouldn't take a lot to imagine, that if you trained a melanoma detector on a bunch of images of skin from individuals who are Caucasian, it might not work so well on images of skin of people from the Indian subcontinent or from Africa. And so because the computational models are complex and just by looking at it, you can't actually figure out what it's using to make the decision unless you're very fastidious about the data that's coming in, the degradation performance when you get individuals who did not come in the original training population, the training set that was used to develop the models, you might have performance that's quite remarkably bad. And again, I think that's going to be an unintended hazard because the initial populations that are going to be used to train these machine learning models are going to be the convenience populations available to the developers. And it's only by being hyper alert to the danger of having inadequate representation resulting in underperformance. It's only by having that degree of hyper alertness that we can avoid it. So although the uptake in the areas I described before are likely to happen, I think we're going to have to be very, very aware of these risks. And yet, we know that the FDA has already vetted at least two AI programs that use neural networks. One is, I believe, for retinopathy, and the other is for fractures of the bone. Have they tested them across different populations? I doubt it. There is another issue, which is when people talk about these programs, the immediate reaction is either a hostile or an excited one, but it's whether it's hostile or excited, it's can we do without doctors? And I want to point out that all these programs do right now is recognize something as being one of two classes or multiple classes. So it either turns into a classification result or a prediction result. What's missing here is a decision based on the values of the doctor and the values of the patient. And when you decide on a therapy with a 
patient, with the cancer patient, going into the decision-making process are issues like, am I worried about the short-term risks or long-term risks? And if the patient wants to make it to his daughter's wedding, for example, it might be that short-term risk is more worrisome than long-term risk. And so when you come to making decisions, the values are just as important as a recognition of a certain state. And that issue of that challenge, of weighing values and the patient state, on that, the current machine learning programs are essentially silent. Thank you, Dr. Kohani.